This audiobook is produced by the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales in partnership with the Catholic Truth Society. Welcome to CTS Audio, where faith comes through listening. Exorcism Understanding Exorcism in Scripture and Practice by Father Jeremy Davis Introduction The Church participates in the victory of Christ over the devil. Christ gave his disciples the power to expel demons. The Church exercises this victorious power through faith in Christ and prayer, which in specific cases can take the form of exorcism. Pope John Paul II, 1986 The Creation and the Fall Before his ascension, Jesus commanded his apostles, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptised will be saved but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. Exorcism has a particular place in the work which Christ has entrusted to his church and must be understood in the light of that whole work. In Christ all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The invisible things are the angels, On the first day of creation, God said, Let there be light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. The sun and stars were not created until the fourth day, and the light of the first day may have been that of the angels, and the separation of the darkness, the fall of a third of them, described in the Apocalypse. Another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great red dragon, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. St. Paul, speaking of himself, wrote, I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is the presence of God. The second heaven seems to mean the created spiritual home of the angels, from which they adore God and are sent as guardians and messengers to our world. The first heaven The firmament of the heavens is our ordinary sky with the sun and moon and stars. From the second heaven, Satan and his angels were thrown down to the first heaven and earth, where they became the world rulers of this present darkness. Since the fallen angels are outnumbered by those who remained faithful, how did they become the world rulers? It was human sin that made them so. Both angels and men were created good, 
And the greatest gift of this goodness is the power to love God freely. By its nature, this gift had to be exercised in order to become permanent. From the leader of those angels who had rejected that love before us came our moment of decision. The serpent said to the woman, The power of the angels, although infinitely less than that of God, is much greater than that of man without God. Choosing to disobey God, we have put ourselves in the power of the fallen angels. In Genesis 3, the devil, in the form of the serpent, is seen clearly. In the rest of the Old Testament, there are occasional glimpses, such as Isaiah's, of Leviathan the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, the dragon that is in the sea. But he has entered man, and there inside he is for the most part, hidden in the dark sea of human sin and error. The Exorcisms of Christ Everything reproved by the light is revealed. When Christ the light came into the world, the demonic spirits could no longer remain hidden. He challenged the devil in the wilderness and there rejected all his temptations, thus constituting in himself a new humanity, confirmed in the power of loving God freely and selflessly. He taught in the synagogue at Capernaum, and from one of the congregation an evil spirit, hitherto hidden, screamed and was cast out. He spoke of the cross, and this exposed the devil's foothold in Peter, whom Jesus then rebuked, Get behind me, Satan. So it is throughout the Gospels, and this light Christ has entrusted to the Church. How grave a responsibility it is not to conceal once more what cost him so much to reveal. In the New Testament, the fallen angels are also called the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, the elemental spirits of the universe, cosmocrats, powers, dominions, thrones, names, princes, lords, gods, angels, unclean spirits, evil spirits, and demons. Sometimes one or other of them is described according to his work, e.g. deaf and dumbness, divination stroke python, antichrist. The head of the fallen angels is usually called Satan in Hebrew or the devil in Greek, both meaning accuser stroke adversary stroke slanderer, but he has many other names, Lucifer, the light bearer, Beelzebub, Prince Baal, the chief pagan god of Canaan, Abaddon, destroyer, Belial, the serpent, the dragon, the lion, the strong one, the evil one, the tempter, the enemy, the liar, the murderer, the god of this age, the ruler of this world, and the prince of the power of the air. Satan himself, it is understood, tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Often, however, in the New Testament, the devil's name designates one of the lesser demons, because hell, emulating heaven, has its own grotesque hierarchy. A totalitarian dictatorship, which Nazism and Communism and the rest seek to reproduce on earth. Thus, a bent back is attributed by our Lord to Satan, but by St. Luke to a spirit of infirmity. Similarly, Jesus first speaks to the Gadarene demons in the singular. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. What is thy name? 
The answer acknowledges the singular but reveals the plural. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him not to send them out of the country. Those legionaries are, no doubt, the slaves of their spokesman, their captain, just as he, possibly through other intermediary ranks, is a slave of Satan. Sometimes, during an exorcism, the evil spirit will say something like, I want to leave, but he won't let me, by he, meaning either his immediate superior or the devil. During his ministry, Christ did many exorcisms. Eight are mentioned individually. Matthew 9.32, 12.22, chapter 15, 21-28, Mark 1, 21-28, 5, 1-20, 9, 14-29, Luke 4, 38-39, and chapter 13, 10-17. Three of these are described in some detail, including Jesus' words of exorcism. In Mark chapter 1, verse 25, 9.25, and Matthew chapter 8.32. Like his healings, Christ's exorcisms were an essential but subsidiary part of his work of evangelization. Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came forth. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. His exorcisms of individual demons led up to his great exorcism of the ruler of this world and his creation of a new world by his death on the cross, his ascension, his gift of the Holy Spirit, and his saving work in the church. Now is the judgment of this world, now shall the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. In our day. When at the foot of Mount Tabor the disciples were unable to cast out the evil spirit, the Lord rebuked them as a faithless and perverse generation. But at least they got the diagnosis right, which is more than one can say for some biblical scholars today. If any of those disciples were among the seventy sent out soon after, it is encouraging that they had learnt from their failure, for they returned in triumph. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall harm you. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see what you see. Recognition of evil spirits and authority over them are given to the babes who have faith and hidden, withheld, from the wise and understanding. The ministry of exorcism in the church flourishes in proportion to the living faith of her members in the Word of God. In the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, Dei Verbum, the Second Vatican Council was inspired to call for a biblical renewal. That is the key to the other great themes of the Council, ecumenism, 
the universal call to holiness and the new evangelization. So far, it has been largely frustrated by a resurgence of biblical modernism, disbelief in the historicity and inerrancy of the scriptures. A century ago, St. Pius X saw clearly its demonic nature and cast it out of the church, but in the past 60 years, it has flooded back. In his book, Jesus of Nazareth, Pope Benedict shows us what is required, not only the ejection of modernism, but its replacement by the faith in the word of Our Lady, by the deep understanding and love of the scriptures that were imparted to the church by her risen Lord. After 60 years in the desert since Dave Urban, a new springtime of the word of God in the church is now possible in our day, as the Pope has said, and everyone is called to partake. Chapter 2. Kinds of Demonic Influence Indirect Rule Through Sin Fallen man is self-centred. We orbit around ourselves instead of around God. And in this state, we are in enemy territory. The conscience of every human being is enlightened with the true light that leads to the love of God. But insofar as we resist that light, we are still, at least indirectly, under the ruler of this world, and this would be so even if he were to exert no direct influence over us at all. Direct Influence Through Sin Satan is the tempter, and as he originated the fall of man, so he still directly influences us to reject grace and commit sin. This is his ordinary mode of action. By love, God draws us to love him freely in return. Spirit has the power of uniting with spirit. The fulfillment of our human spirit is union with the Holy Spirit. The devil, by deception and psychic violence, seeks to imprison us in his own separation from God. If an evil spirit tempts us to sin, how, if we yield to that sin, should we not be united with that spirit? Our will is free not entirely, but sufficiently to be the rudder on which our eternal destiny depends. The spiritual war is over the free decisions of our human will. After the deliverance of the Gadarene demoniacs, something very strange happened. All the local citizens were seized with a great fear, and instead of welcoming Jesus with joy, as people did elsewhere, and bringing other demoniacs to be liberated, they asked him to leave their district. Why? Perhaps their joy was elsewhere, in their prosperity and their pigs, and they weren't aware of having any other demoniacs. There are multitudes, poor and rich, who are set upon nothing else whatever but on getting money. The pursuit of wealth blocks up the avenues of their hearts, and they have not time nor thought nor love for the great things which concern their peace. What is this but another possession of the devil? Cardinal Newman through the ordinary attachments that are second nature to fallen man, of which money is but one, the Gadarenes were under the devil's rule. But only Jesus' appearance among them revealed both their self-bound state and the devil's hand in it, for the evil spirits begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. It was the Decapolis, Gentile territory, ruled over by pagan gods, and the evil spirits were at home there and so were the citizens, and the fear they were seized with was surely in part that of the spirits in them. 
Because the devil hides behind our sins and sinful states, it is difficult to see the extent of his share in them. Sometimes it is relatively small because of God's protection or because of the type of sin or because our sins do his work for him and he needs to rule only with a very light hand. However, we must beware of underestimating his ability to conceal himself. Father Nolden strongly recommends minor exorcisms over those who are vexed by vehement temptations and upon penitents who are experiencing difficulties in eliciting sorrow and amendment from sins and sincerity in manifesting sins. This hidden influence, lulling and distorting the conscience, impeding contrition and faith and honesty, is the most deadly of all the devil's works. Only through our own free sin can he cause us lasting harm. We speak of the possessed as the afflicted, but this is because we are usually speaking of those who are seeking to be free, and that is why the devil is afflicting them. The far more terrible state is that of the possessed who are complacent, who have the peace of this world. Because men are content to live without love, they do not recognize the loveless power that is at work among them. Father Michael Sellers As long as the devil is able to carry on this hidden work of false peace, he is phenomenally successful. It is the coming of Christ, it is the preaching and exorcism that force him out of hiding and reveal his lies and murder. My friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. As long as we cling to the love of Christ, we must not give way to fear of the devil's violence, the persecutions and sufferings he causes, but we should fear the devil's leaven of lies that can deceive our conscience. Direct Influence Without Present Sin It is mainly in these cases that exorcism is sometimes part of the remedy. Most, not all, began with sin. But to the extent that repentance and freedom from sin, at least from subjective sin, have followed and yet bondage remains, they come in this category. In one sense, this bondage is not of our free will, but of our self-control, because although the devil can restrict and partially control our will, to the extent that he does so, it is no longer free. We are judged on our use of the free will that remains to us. How precious is the Holy Spirit's upholding of this fragment of our free will and his power to restore whatever self-control we have lost. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. The Gadarene demoniac had probably in the past committed grave sin. He was almost completely possessed, raving and dangerous. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he saw his one hope and used his last might of freedom to run to the Lord and fall down in worship before him. Though the words which came out of his mouth were demonic, he himself was dumbly crying out to the Saviour, who knew his heart and heard his cry and set him free. Even in the depths of his affliction, the spiritual state of the demoniac had been better than that of the respectable citizens of Gadara and he went on to become their evangelist. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart.
Chapter 3 Causes of Demonic Influence Sin The devil ordinarily has a share in all human sins, but, as we have seen, in some it is relatively small, so that his rule in such cases can be described as more or less indirect. At the other extreme, there are sins which have a special affinity with him. Rebellion against God Blasphemy, atheism, attacks on Christ, on his divinity, his resurrection, his word, his saving power, attacks on the church, on her authority and unity, on the sacraments. Sins against the light. When grace is given and there is no response, when grace is received and then there is unfaithfulness, the New Testament is full of warnings. Europe as a whole is now in this state of apostasy, and only by a genuine personal decision for Christ and the Church can someone separate himself from it. The Natural Religions Hinduism in India, Buddhism in Sri Lanka, Shintoism in Japan, Animism in Africa, the gods and goddesses of Egypt and Canaan and ancient Greece, the Druidism of ancient Britain and so on. The Church has always recognised that there is a good side to these pagan religions, but there is also an idolatrous, demonic side, for they are simply the kind of religion that fallen man naturally makes for himself, but they make claims to teach the way of God. Occult Practices or Sorcery These are the experiential resources, the signs and wonders of paganism seeking spiritual help in ways that are forbidden by God. They receive help of a kind but fall into the power of their helpers. A man has his damaged knee miraculously restored by a healer, but develops suicidal depression. Occult power is not only of deception, but also of the energy which belongs to all spirits, including those who have fallen. On the human side, occult practices are an attempt to exploit the psychic, the sixth sense that is a part of our nature, but not a high part. Animals are often more psychic than humans. However, being invisible, it can mimic the highest parts of our nature, our spirit, and if developed, almost inevitably becomes a channel for the demonic. Occult practices fall into three groups. Magic seeking to use the psychic or demonic access to gain power, divination or fortune-telling, using it to gain knowledge, and spiritism or spiritualism, trying to make contact with the spirits of the dead. All these occult practices are direct invitations to the devil, which he readily accepts. In corrupting and destroying millions of young people in our time, they are closely related to drugs, demonic music and pornography. They all involve an abandonment of the self-control with which human beings are entrusted. The thin end of the wedge, soft drugs, yoga for relaxation, horoscopes just for fun and so on, is more dangerous than the thick end because more deceptive. An evil spirit tries to make his entry as unobtrusively as possible. Beware of any claim to mediate beneficial energies e.g. Reiki, any courses that promise the peace that Christ promises, e.g. Enneagrams, 
any alternative therapy with its roots in Eastern religion, e.g. acupuncture. Even when these panaceas are more the work of autosuggestion than of the devil, they are not harmless. Sanity depends upon our relationship to reality, the infinitely precious power given to man which enables him to put his faith in the truth, in Christ, is sinfully wasted when it is misdirected to unrealities by autosuggestion. My beloved, says St. Paul, shun the worship of idols. What is called the New Age movement is paganism reduced to absurdity, but unfortunately it has not lost its poison in the process. New Revelations Christ, God the Son, is the total revelation of God to man. Since the age of the apostles, there is development of doctrine, but no new public revelation. However, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Among these are Muhammad and Islam, Joseph Smith, the Mormons, Sun Myung Moon, the Unification Church, and countless other heretical prophets and false messiahs, founders of sects and promoters of cults, all leading their followers to a demonic bondage of conscience. Pride, self-glorification. Pride is the specific trait of Satan. There are two kinds of Satanism, occultic in which Satan is worshipped as a person, and what is said to be even more terrible, and certainly is even more deceived, rationalist, in which Satan is regarded as an impersonal force or symbol, and the glory belongs to the Satanists. How close to rationalist Satanism, without realising it, is atheistic scientism, the hubris of science going beyond its proper sphere and moral boundaries, the tree of knowledge presently spreading its branches throughout our Western culture, which is rapidly becoming that of the whole world. Another form of pride is the cult of emperor worship and the megalomania of the Herods and Hitlers of every age. But those who have no such earthly power are not immune. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Forty years ago, Paul Witz wrote an essay on current psychiatry entitled Psychology as Religion, the Cult of Self-Worship but Satan outdoes any secular psychologist in sowing the seeds of a good self-image that kill the soul. Perversion Our human nature is made in the image of God, and the spirits who hate God seek to pervert our nature. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul shows how the idolatry of nature, serving the creature rather than the creator, leads to the perversion of nature. And if the spirits inspiring atheism are often well concealed, their unnatural effects are surely not. Who else but the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, has blinded humanists from seeing the dehumanizing effects of contraception and abortion and IVF, of homosexual marriages, of human cloning and human-animal hybrids, and the vivisection of human embryos in scientific research? Some very unpleasant things must be mentioned, because young people especially are vulnerable, and we must do what we can to protect and warn them. Among the causes of homosexuality is a contagious demonic factor. 
In most towns of England, there is at least one particular place where homosexual persons encourage each other in vice, and one troubled young man visiting a town for the first time could always, without address or directions, walk straight to that pub or club. Even heterosexual promiscuity is a perversion, and intercourse which belongs in the sanctuary of married love can become a pathway not only for disease, but also for evil spirits. Other Causes of Demonic Influence A. These include severe shock or trauma, the abandonment or abuse of a child, some violence or violation, as in rape or war, and the effects of curses or spells or voodoo. The extent of demonic intrusion depends not only upon the strength of the attack, but also on that of the person's defences, spiritual, moral and constitutional. And God protects us more than we know. Max Picard It is partly through our reason that he protects us, and so both drugs and psychosis can provide an opening for the demonic. B. Original sin itself is a form of demonic bondage, and bad things handed down in a family, such as alcoholism, divorce and suicide, are like original sin. In addition to the genetic and environmental causes, there can be a demonic element. We normally have free will to receive or reject divine grace, to receive or reject the malign inheritance. So it is the predisposition that is free from personal sin, but not its perpetuation. C. When someone is spiritually advancing, either in his union with Christ or in his Christian work, the devil has to come out of hiding to defend his territory. St. Peter in his first letter speaks of this time of testing, of purifying the heart, of spiritual warfare, of offering up our suffering in union with the sacrifice of Christ. It is inseparable from conversion and discipleship and apostolic work. Attacks, therefore, come as they did to Christ, especially at times of decision, of receiving a new sacrament or beginning a new state of life. Great indeed is our need to prepare and warn and pray for our children receiving First Holy Communion and Confirmation, for our penitents in the confessional, for our couples being married and bringing their infants for baptism, for our converts and novices and seminarians. Otherwise we will lose a great many for reasons that seem mysterious. Victory depends on making no bargain with the devil, no compromise of our faith in Christ and his word and his church. For over 20 years a catechist in Ghana instructed countless converts from animism. After their reception into the church, they all had to undergo a hard time of counterattacks, mainly interior, from the water spirits and household gods and other pagan demons. Only two had given in and gone back to the false peace of paganism. All the others, after on average about a year, had come through to the peace of Christ. In the manifold sufferings which God allows Satan to inflict on Christians, Christ himself is our prototype, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In the temptations which immediately followed his baptism, in the trials of his ministry and in his passion. In his essay introducing La Passion de Madame R, Journal du Mystique Assiégé par les Démons, Father René Laurentin 
gives a clear and profound account of these sufferings in the lives of the saints. Chapter 4. Degrees of Demonic Influence Temptation and Sin Baudelaire said that the devil's most successful trick is to convince us that he does not exist. But the opposite trick, that he alone is responsible for our sin, is equally harmful. Jesus' teaching normally assumes both our ability, by the power of his grace, to obey it, and our need to do so drastically. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. We must learn not to be discouraged by temptations. They are not in themselves sinful, and overcoming them is an essential part of spiritual growth. But unresisted, temptation becomes venial sin, and this in turn leads to mortal sin. Thus we become both slaves of sin and children of the devil. We have to fight spiritually against both our enemies at the same time, as the apostles teach us to do. Obsession Unlike the use of the word obsession in modern psychology, the church's older meaning is of being besieged, a demonic attack that is to some extent interior but falls short of possession. It is generally accepted that minor exorcisms can assist deliverance from obsession but are not absolutely necessary. The ordinary means of the church are sufficient. These ordinary means are, of course, only ordinary in the sense of their constant use. The word of God, the sacraments, prayer and the fellowship of the church are as supernatural as the incarnation and resurrection. Authors vary as to where they draw the line between obsession and possession. Obsession consists in a series of unusually violent and persistent temptations. Father Tankery. In obsession, the devil besieges a person and is able by external assaults to create severe disturbances and chaos within the city. Obsession is not simply a heightened state of temptation. It has its own crisis periods at such times. Freedom of will is strongly inhibited but not eliminated. The obsessed can make a strong stand against the emotional pressure the devil seeks to exert. Father Rodovic Father Scanlon places obsession midway between possession and oppression. In obsession, evil spirits have infested a particular area of a person's life. They are not, however, in possession of the person. On the other hand, they are not outside the person harassing him. Obsession is usually cause for deliverance ministry. Oppression is the experience of evil spirits pressing in on the person from the outside, causing heaviness, weariness or discouragement. The remedy for oppression is to command the spirit of oppression to be gone in the name of Jesus. Obsessions may be disturbances of the mind and heart, e.g. aversions, fixations, paranoias, depressions, fears, delusions, self-glorifications, complacencies, sloth and other temptations and trials. Or they may be psychic or soulish, e.g. hallucinations, locutions, seductions, blows, a sense of an evil presence. Or they may be physical, e.g. illness, as in Luke 4.39. The devil commonly seeks to exploit our natural weaknesses 
And so the discernment of the demonic by no means rules out the coexistence of spiritual, moral, and psychological factors. Possession Compared to obsession, possession is a greater degree of demonic influence, more extensive and interior and compulsive. Except when a person has freely given himself totally to evil, perfect possession. Demonic possession is always partial and its extent varies enormously. Often the possessed area tends to be walled in like an abscess from the rest of the person's being, so that he can function with some freedom when that area is not touched. Three different areas in which he lives, three concentric circles, are sometimes distinguishable. In the outer ring, he is his normal self. In the middle, someone who knows him well can recognize disconcerting traits that seem uncharacteristic, e.g. racial prejudice. Only when the inner core is touched is there liable to be a demonic explosion. Two elements constitute possession. The presence of the demon in the body of the possessed and the dominion exercised by the demon over that body and through it over the soul. Father Tangeray. Evil is someone, someone who is multiple and whose name is Legion. It is one thing to be in the realm of the demons, as we all are when we have lost the state of grace, and quite another to be held and surrounded, literally possessed by him. François Mauriac. Possession means that the devil has conquered the city and is in control of its internal strongholds. The Rodovic. To be possessed can mean that Satan has befuddled a person's reason. In some instances of possession recounted in the New Testament, molestation by the devil is manifested in various disturbances of the human body itself, where he has gained control over a man's sight, hearing, speech, or the physical organism in general. Father Philip Weller. Chapter 5 Discernment and Diagnosis The History Voices in the mind, severe pain in the head or stomach or elsewhere, psychic sexual attacks, strong temptations, and the various other signs have all to be interpreted in their context. For example, did the apprehension of a dark presence follow playing with a Ouija board or taking a medication with hallucinatory side effects? Careful consideration must be given to the manner in which all signs relate to faith and the spiritual struggle in the Christian life, for indeed the evil one is above all the enemy of God and of all that unites the faithful to the saving work of God. Introduction to the Rite of Exorcism So far as possible, we need a bird's-eye view of the person's whole life. What are the roots of the problem? What is its meaning? What is God saying? A girl had received great grace at the time of her first Holy Communion, but thereafter had become lukewarm and finally lapsed. At the age of 17, she was studying night and day for her exams, determined to get a particular job. She failed the exams and did not get the job. Bitter and depressed, she shut herself in her room all day and went for long walks with the poor dog at night. She listened to the kind of music that is mingled with that of the infernal choirs and read books on witchcraft from the public library. By the age of 19, she was possessed. 
a renunciation of witchcraft and an exorcism would only have been the beginning of her recovery. In time, she would need to repent of the deeper layers, her initial backsliding, setting her heart on worldly success, the subsequent rebellion, all the energy of her young life ingrowing and destroying her. Not only the witchcraft, but all these, too, she would need to bring to Christ. We should pray for a deep confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to work a complete conversion in every human being. He brings men to the grave and back. Signs, Characteristics and Symptoms A. Reaction to the Holy Examples are a violent aversion to God, the most holy name of Jesus, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints, the Church, the Word of God, holy things, holy rites, especially of a sacramental nature and holy images. When the deaf and dumb boy saw Jesus, the Spirit immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. B. Occasionally, there may be preternatural knowledge, as of a spiritual reality or a foreign language or a future event, or preternatural strength. C. The activity of evil spirits has evil characteristics. In the case of the boy at Mount Tabor, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. That is not a sign of idiopathic epilepsy, but of the devil. Murder and suicide are pathonomic of his activity. In the case of voices in the mind, if what they say is evil, this too is a sign. However, the devil is a deceiver. Particularly in the early stages, a voice or influence may appear to be good, advocating prayer, for example, or quoting from the Bible. But if we ask for the Holy Spirit, he will show us that something is wrong, that the prayer is slavish or ill-timed, or that the meaning of the quotation has been twisted. It won't be long before malice is evident. Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. We must not judge spiritual things by merely human thinking. We must be prepared to put our faith in all that God reveals of himself and his will. But if, with faith in the word of God and uplifted heart, we are seeking the truth, we must not fear that testing the spirits may lead us into sinning against the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he has told us to test the spirits. When a Christ radiant in glory suddenly appeared and told St. Martin of Tours to worship him, Martin replied, If you are Christ, show me your wounds, and Satan immediately vanished. D. Reaction to the Exorcism In cases of possession, this may take the form of facial contortions, or unawareness of what is happening, with no memory of it afterwards, or intense aggression, usually held back by invisible hands from actual violence, or physical collapse, or vomiting, or the demon speaking through the person's mouth, in which case discernment may be helped by asking a few questions, as long as we bear in mind that he is a liar. In obsession there are milder reactions, such as anxiety or nausea, or yawning. Sometimes, in possessions as well as obsession, there is virtually no reaction to an exorcism. This may be because the demon is managing to remain hidden. Or it may be 
that the exorcism is doing its work without provoking any manifestation. After an exorcism, the person may for a while feel confused or tired, or he may feel peace, which could be due to relief that it is over, or it could mean liberation. Spiritual and Medical A. Christ distinguished between possession, which he exercised, and illness, which he healed. B. Physical disorders usually have physical causes and require physical treatment, but some are psychosomatic, an interaction of mind and body, and some are demonic. One deaf and dumb person Jesus healed, and another he exercised. C. The cause of at least some mental disorders seems to be at least partly physical, e.g. postnatal depression and some psychoses. That is why the treatment of schizophrenia was transformed by the discovery of the phenothiazines. D. Man is a unity of spirit, soul and body, and there are normally spiritual and psychological and physical factors in more or less every part of our lives. A man in his 50s had had an unhappy childhood and had been on medication for schizophrenia since he was a young man. He still heard voices, but they were not particularly unpleasant and he led a fairly normal life. Then, one day, visiting a church and unawares, the Blessed Sacrament, he had a vision of Christ. Filled with joy, he began to receive instruction, but soon after the voices became vicious and frightening and he attempted suicide. After an exorcism, the voices became innocuous again and he was received into the church. He has had one relapse, which was similarly resolved. He is still on medication, but he is strong in faith and has a peace he never knew before. His schizophrenia was a constitutional disorder, partly physical, partly psychological, which the devil had tried to exploit in order to obstruct his salvation. E. Where there is free will, we are in the spiritual and moral sphere. This is the centre of human life and destiny, the meeting point between the will of God and our will. Christ came to restore us to the kingdom of God, to his spiritual and moral rule over us. His teaching is the supreme wisdom, his grace is the supreme power over all that is in the heart and mind of man. This does not mean that everything except the physical is the domain of the priest and that there is no place for a psychiatrist beyond the treatment of mental disorders that are physical in origin. It means that insofar as a psychiatrist goes beyond physical treatment, whatever counsel or therapy he gives should be an authentic branch of the teaching and redemptive work of Christ. Otherwise it will not bear good fruit and may do grave harm. Seeking, for example, to stimulate self-esteem in fallen man is like treating a heroin addict with heroin. As the way to a proper self-respect, Jesus teaches humility and faith. The psych in psychology means soul, but in our atheistic culture, there has arisen the dehumanizing idea that there is a kind of neutral area of our being that is not of our body, nor of our soul, nor of our spirit but of our psychology. This area cries out to be reclaimed for Christ. There are five determinants in the formation and development of our character. 
divine grace, free will, genetic inheritance, environment, and demonic influence. Many current psychologists do not even believe in free will, let alone divine grace or demonic influence. It is the Holy Spirit who sets us free, and no doubt it is because they do not believe in divine grace that they do not observe free will. F. There is a meaning in mental disorders which escapes unbelievers. For example, depression can often have physical and psychological causes, but it can also, of course, have external causes, such as bereavement, and spiritual causes, such as lack of faith. If someone does not believe in God and has no hope beyond this life, then it is reasonable and realistic for him to feel a certain emptiness and depression. This feeling is telling him to seek the meaning of life before it is too late. Treating it only as an illness is the kind of escapism that true psychiatry should be treating. It is also a sin against the Holy Spirit. St. Ignatius teaches that in a state of grace, the Holy Spirit consoles and the devil disturbs, but in a state of sin, vice versa. The Gift of Wisdom The work of exorcism lies within the unseen spiritual world. Just as its efficacy is totally dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, so is the necessary discernment upon his light. Words of wisdom and knowledge and discernings of spirits are among the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ, the Church. So we need to be faithful members of the Church, serving her rather than ourselves, and to be always growing in knowledge and love of the Word, and to pray. In a particular experience, is the Spirit of God at work, or a human spirit, for good or bad, or an evil spirit, and if so, of what kind? Is the need for repentance and faith, and or for spiritual direction and warfare, and or for exorcism and healing, and or for what else? The Holy Spirit can work in any way he chooses, but the way he generally chooses is the way he wrote the Bible, through the humanity of the human authors. He speaks through our spirit and conscience, through our minds and hearts. Therefore, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. Chapter 6 Exorcism and Deliverance Baptism and Confirmation In the rite of infant baptism, after the gospel, the intercessions and the litany of the saints, the priest exorcises and anoints the child, not because he is possessed, but because inheriting original sin, he is born under the indirect rule of the devil. The exorcism and anointing are complemented by the parent's renunciation of Satan and confession of the faith. These are the preparations for the baptism, the protecting walls of the new temple of the Holy Spirit. How awe-inspiring are the vows parents make on behalf of their child when he is baptised. To save their child from a lion, they would risk their lives. By their faithfulness to these vows, they save their child from a far more terrible lion. The martyrs knew these things. The church in China and the Sudan knows them. Through faith in the word of God, we too can live in the world of spiritual reality. 
The rite of Christian initiation of adults also contains exorcisms. Some of these, during the catechumenate and purification, are obligatory. A part of their meaning is the repudiation of the devil's indirect rule, as in infant baptism, but there is now the participation of the candidate's free will, and they are also intended against the direct influence of the devil. The rite of acceptance contains optional exorcisms. In regions where false worship is widespread, whether in worshipping spiritual powers or in calling on the shades of the dead or in using magical arts, the Conference of Bishops may introduce a first exorcism and a renunciation of false worship. Similarly, during the catechumenate, one of these prayers may be said privately for individual catechumens, and there is also an optional prayer of exorcism with anointing for use when this seems beneficial. The RCIA consists, of course, not only of baptism, but also of confirmation and Holy Communion. Confirmation is the sacrament of spiritual warfare, the grace that enables us to become adult members of the Church, soldiers of Christ, overcoming the world, the flesh and the devil, and this grace is fulfilled and grows through union with Christ in the Eucharist. Major or Solemn Exorcism no one may lawfully exorcise the possessed without the special and express permission of the local ordinary. Code of Canon Law, number 1172. A major exorcism can be performed only by a priest and with the permission of the bishop. Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1672. The indications for doing a major exorcism are two and both should be present. First, to a grave extent, a person's will, due to demonic possession, lacks control over some part of himself. Secondly, to the extent that the person's will is in control, he has good will, i.e. he is seeking to follow such light of Christ as he has been given. Jesus did not exorcise Judas, nor Peter Ananias, nor Paul Elimas. The Church's rite of exorcism, revised in 2020, consists of deprecative and imperative exorcisms, surrounded by the Word of God and prayer, together with the sign of the cross, the laying on of hands, breathing on the afflicted, and sprinkling with holy water. It should always be preceded by prayer for guidance and protection, for humility and charity and power, and followed by prayer for the person to be filled with the Holy Spirit and by thanksgiving and praise. In an imperative exorcism, the exorcist, in the name of Christ, commands the evil spirit to leave the person, to harm no one, and never to return. The Lord has told his church to do this work, and the exorcist is doing it in obedience to his bishop. Therefore, according to the measure of faith which God has assigned to the exorcist, it is Christ himself who is doing the exorcism hence its power, hence also the protection of all concerned. A deprecative exorcism is a prayer that qualifies as an exorcism because it is a certain kind of prayer. The Latin deprecari means entreating God to judge someone. The exorcist in the name of Christ brings the evil spirit before God to be judged. An imperative exorcism expresses our faith in Christ's promise to be with his church until the end. 
a deprecative exorcism, expresses our total dependence on God and on his will. These two kinds of exorcism balance each other, and so important is this balance that the right forbids in a major exorcism one kind to be used without the other. Minor exorcism. In the church's tradition, a minor exorcism can be used by any priest in case of obsession. If it is morally certain or highly probable that there is diabolical obsession, the spiritual director may make use in private of the exorcisms contained in the Roman ritual or of some shorter formulas. Should he determine to do so, he should not tell the penitent beforehand if he has reason to fear that it would only worry and excite him. It will suffice to say that he is going to recite over him some prayer approved by the church. Father Tankery. It is much to be desired that ministers of the church should perform simple exorcisms more frequently, remembering the words of the Lord, in my name they shall cast out demons. They should use this or a similar formula. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, unclean spirit, to leave this creature of God. Father Noldim. Just as I celebrate Mass, preach and hear confessions, so too I exercise when it is necessary. I am grateful for the possibility to help so many people who suffer and who often need only one word of understanding. It is a vital part of the ordinary ecclesial activity. Father Gabriel Amorth the power of exorcism is an intrinsic part of the sacrament of the priesthood, and the reservation of major exorcism to the bishop's permission in canon law and the catechism clearly leaves unbroken the tradition of priests doing minor exorcisms of the obsessed. But in many regions it needs to be revived. For every possessed person needing a major exorcism, there are many more who could be helped by a minor exorcism. Its wording can be deprecative or imperative, taken from the ritual or spontaneous, spoken aloud or silently. It will often be brief, but there is no time limit. Suitable occasions are when seeing people with problems or during confession or spiritual direction. Sometimes, for example, in cases of curses or witchcraft or related to vows or involving fornication, the breaking of a wrong bond should precede the exorcism. This can begin with the baptismal promises, adding the particular renunciations needed. The priest then breaks the bondage, e.g. in the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority he has given to his church, I break such and such a bondage, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not only possession, but obsession can threaten a person's life and the sacrament of anointing is a precious spiritual medicine. Its specific effect is to heal the wounds of sin and the evil one. The Good Shepherd restores my soul. Exorcism at a distance When, for practical reasons, it is difficult for the exorcist to meet the afflicted person, he can do an exorcism at a distance. Jesus delivered the daughter of the Canaanite woman at a distance as on that occasion the prayer of relations and friends is, to say the least, a great support. If the afflicted is not so much unable as unwilling to meet the exorcist, we should not automatically assume that a distance exorcism is the will of God. 
A young man had been in a state of lapsation, rebellion, depression and isolation for years. At the request of his mother, a distance exorcism of which he knew nothing was done. And next morning, he came down to breakfast bright and balanced, transformed, but he made no move back to the church and in the following months gradually returned to his previous misery. Deliverance Prayer Jesus is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. To pray for the church and the world, for particular people or situations or institutions or nations or whatever, is the responsibility not only of priests, but of the whole priestly body of Christ. The whole parish congregation should be aware of this, for we are the branches through whom the love of Christ reaches and bears fruit in those for whom he laid down his life. The Eucharistic sacrifice is the source and summit of this prayer, but it should also have a place in private and family prayer and in prayer groups, in the presence of those needing deliverance and in their absence. The rite of exorcism contains supplicatory prayers which can be used in private by the faithful in their struggle against the powers of darkness. The Psalms are a wonderful weapon in deliverance, including the so-called imprecatory Psalms, provided they are understood in their true deprecatory, not imprecatory nature, and are directed against demonic, not human, enemies. Our Lady is at the centre of the war against Satan, and she has given us the rosary. St. Michael is the guardian angel of the church, and Leo XIII has given us the prayer to St. Michael for the great spiritual war we are fighting. We should also remember our particular guardian angels. As in exorcism, there is a certain spontaneity in deliverance prayer. The Holy Spirit is our leader, and we need times of silence and listening. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and the more we know and love Holy Scripture, the more the Holy Spirit will bring us words that give light and power in a particular situation. We beseech him not only to drive out the enemy, but to fill and reign over the regained territory. As a safeguard in deliverance prayer by the laity, it is clearly the mind of the Church that only occasionally and briefly should imperative words be included. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has warned against deliverance prayer becoming major exorcism under another name. And when it seems that someone may be not just obsessed but possessed, he should be referred to a diocesan exorcist. One form of deliverance is self-deliverance, about this, it is hard to generalize. In some cases, it can be just what is needed. In others, it can allow the devil a foot in the door when it would be far better to close it by, so far as is possible, ignoring him. As in all things, we need to seek the will of God. Exorcism of Objects and Places and Attacks on the Church the presence of the devil and other demons can be discerned also in a special mode of attachment to objects and localities, as indeed in various forms of opposition and persecution practiced against the church. 
if in such circumstances the diocesan bishop should think fit to call upon the faithful to come together to pray, forms of service can be devised from the material which follows under the leadership and control of the priest. First Appendix of the Rite of Exorcism Thirty years ago, a nervous and inexperienced priest exorcised the woman who had belonged to a witch's coven. At their second meeting, she spoke normally until, when he began to pray, she asked, Are you going to burn me again? His assistant, a nun, had to explain to him that it was the demon referring to the holy water he had used on the first occasion. Just as water and other material things can be blessed and so become an instrument of good, so can they, through witchcraft and other such practices, convey curses. These objects can be returned to ordinary use by exorcism, but it is usually simpler to sprinkle them with holy water and, with a prayer that they will harm no one, throw them away. Evil spirits can be attached to buildings, regions and communities, as well as bound up with religions and ideologies and political movements. In a house, the most common sign is a menacing presence, sometimes seen or heard or felt or smelt. The cause is often something wrong that has been done there in the past, e.g. seances or abortions. Where a couple are living together outside marriage, it serves as a providential warning. Poltergeist phenomena are often said to be due to psychological tension in a member of the household. But when there is occultism in the history, or some sort of evil threat is apparent, there is probably a demonic element. Encountering such things, we need to be aware of the spiritualist's theory that they are due to trapped human spirits who need to be released. A fortiori, beware of their rescues, which only succeed in importing more trouble. Where there are signs of objective evil, the cause is usually a demonic spirit, or possibly a damned human spirit, in which case it should be treated in the same way as a demon. The souls in purgatory are holy. They may sometimes ask for our prayer, but they cause no harm, no terror, no evil. When a home or any other building is troubled in such ways, the church's first concern is for the faith and protection of those who live or work there, according to their need, for their conversion or repentance or teaching or reassurance, and secondly, for the cleansing of the place. If a simple blessing has not achieved this, the other possibilities are an exorcism, a mass offered for that intention, preferably on the premises, consecration of the family to the Sacred Heart with enthronement of a picture of the Sacred Heart and family prayer. If you have mice in the house, you get a cat. The devil is terrified of Our Lady. If the family prays the rosary together every day, she'll soon scare him off the premises. Father Huth waits. A situation of opposition and persecution practiced against the church was a Catholic school in which the teachers were handing on the faith with great success. In addition to less dramatic troubles, several people independently complained of encounters with an evil presence. The CCTV camera recorded a dark figure passing through the locked main door in the middle of the night, and there were two fires. One burned down most of the building, and the other, of inexplicable origin, a statue of Our Lady. One evening, with the headmaster, the chairman of governors, 
the caretaker and a few others, all united in the same intention of protecting the work of the school from evil, a mass was offered in the school hall. This was followed by an exorcism and a circuit of all the rooms and grounds with prayer and holy water. There were no further disturbances. Demonic Inheritance The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. Ezekiel's great prophecy is fulfilled by Christ. In those who cooperate with his grace, he breaks the inherited bondages. All grace comes to us through the Mass, which he offers to the Father for the living and the dead. This grace transforms our lives through the faith not only of the priest but also of the congregation. When our particular intentions are for our deceased forebears who are in heaven, the Mass gives glory to the Trinity enthroned among the heavenly hosts and help to us. If they are in purgatory, the Mass assists their progress to heaven strengthens what is good in our relationship with them and weakens what is bad. If they are in hell, then our relationship with them is broken. When there is need for an exorcism, the mass does not always remove that need, but it removes or reduces the obstruction to the effect of the exorcism. Chapter 7 Conclusion Seeking Help Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish and strengthen you. To him be the dominion for ever and ever. Amen. If you are becoming increasingly aware of the devil's enmity in your life, there is a meaning in it. Perhaps it is a sign that you are spiritually advancing. If so, praise God. Put on his armour, fight the good fight and continue to advance. Attack is the best form of defence. Spiritual warfare is part of the ordinary Christian life. It may, however, be a sign that you are backsliding, or worse, in which case repent. Go to confession, trust in the mercy of God and make a new beginning. Beyond that, if you need help to understand what is happening, or think you might need an exorcism, first consult your parish priest. He may himself counsel and pray for you, or ask someone else to do so, or refer you to a diocesan exorcist. If, at least in your own view, you are still stranded, go to your bishop. Ultimately, it is his responsibility. Beware of seeking help from anyone except Christ and the Catholic Church. On the physical side of things, accept as a general rule your doctor's advice. Don't answer advertisements of healers or psychics or spiritualists. Don't go to sects or cults. Don't be tempted by universal energies or Eastern religions or magic cures 
or alternative therapies or self-realization courses or psychological breakthroughs. Most of them are demonic and will only make you worse. What of the help offered by real Christians who are not Catholic, but believe in the divinity of Christ and in his command to cast out evil spirits? They are our brothers in Christ, and insofar as those inside the visible church neglect their duty, God gives outside the gifts that belong inside. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, gradually drawing into the unity of the church all who heed the word of God and pruning her of those who do not. It is immediately after the disciples' failure to cast out a demon that an exorcising non-disciple arises. If exorcism is a part of this true ecumenism, we should thank God for it. But rather than receive help from those who are not just non-Catholic but anti-Catholic, far better and much safer to remain faithful to the church at the foot of the cross. God will not abandon us through no fault of our own. And in the wise words of Father Amorth, exorcism is only 10% of the cure. The remaining 90% is the responsibility of the individual. There is a need for much prayer, frequent reception of the sacraments, living a life according to the gospel, using sacramentals, asking others to pray for a cure, many masses, pilgrimages and charitable works, active participation in the parish or prayer groups. He also says that the best exorcism is the sacrament of confession. Whatever our situation, we are not outside God's merciful providence. He knows what we can do and what we can't. She has done what she could. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mark chapter 14 verse 8 to 9 Exorcism and After As in the Gospels, so also in our modern world, especially in those parts that are not yet so modern, a possessed or obsessed person is sometimes set free by a single exorcism. But often there have to be more exorcisms, and sometimes many more. Apart from wrong diagnoses, what are the reasons for these delays? Why could we not cast it out? Because of your little faith. Faith is asked not only of the exorcist, but also of the afflicted and those who pray for him. On that same occasion, the father begs, If you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus replies, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. This kind Jesus says, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting increase faith, and the power of the Lord enters through the door of faith. Christ himself teaches us how to pray by his words and by his example. As to fasting, it is from all sin, from all the attachments that keep us back from giving ourselves to the will of God, to the extent that we only want to be free from suffering but resist conversion. The enemy still has a hold on us. And to the extent that the exorcist relies on techniques and formulas rather than on the living God, the enemy still has a hold on him. If we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God's love for us and to inspire us to respond with love, he will answer our prayer and from that source all things are possible. 
Delays are hard to bear, but we must know that it is out of love that God allows them. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. He has much to teach us. He is purifying our hearts. He is uniting us with himself. He knows what he is about, as Newman says. Our part is humble perseverance and trust. Many of those who were once possessed, and many of those who are not yet free, come to a deep union with our Lord. To the exorcist they confide their experiences, and they are like those of the saints. Here indeed we cannot tell the sinners from the saints. They are one in the cross of Christ. After liberation, the support of the parish community is very important. Christian friendship is needed, with all the teaching and healing this brings. We must devote ourselves to building up our relationship with Jesus and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, and to building up the church. As Doreen Irvine says, we mustn't become one of those for whom it's demons for breakfast, lunch and tea. The greatest danger is gradually to forget all that has been learnt and to relapse into a state of worldliness. The Lord turns defeat into victory, but the devil, if we let him, turns victory into defeat. Let us imitate Mary Magdalene, that most wretched of all women, until the Lord cast out from her the seven demons and she became one of the little spiritual family around him during his ministry and stood faithfully by the cross and was the first to visit his tomb, the first to see him risen. There was no need to ask her, do you love me? The Victory of Christ If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first binds the strong man. When one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes away his armour in which he trusted and divides his spoil. The strong man is Satan, the stronger is Christ, who brings his disciples from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Those words must have struck terror in Satan, for he lives in eternal division. His nature created to glorify God, his will set in malice against God. Throughout the Gospels, we see Christ exploiting that inner contradiction and dividing Satan against Satan, so that he tempts Jesus to avoid the cross, and yet he brings him to the cross. And through the cross, Jesus ascended into heaven, man was redeemed and the devil defeated. So it continues in the life of the church. The root error of fallen man is to seek what he calls happiness rather than to seek God. It is this error that Satan exploits. He would like to give the members of his kingdom a worldly happiness all the way to hell, but he is evil and doesn't have the resources to make people happy for long. His intellect is as brilliant as ever, but in the presence of Christ and his disciples, he can neither conceal himself nor control his anger and hatred and fear. And so he becomes the worst enemy of his own plans. His victims begin to suffer and our sense of need for God awakens. And if we look at the cross, we begin to glimpse the love and the wisdom of God. As Satan's first success on earth gave rise to the incarnation, 
and as his master plan of the crucifixion was the means of our redemption, so his attacks on the church work for good with those who love God. Many more people would be in hell, it seems clear, were it not for the devil's efforts to get them there. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Provided he heeds that warning of the Lord, an exorcist has joy, because he can help many poor people who are in great need and because his office is a kind of rallying call to the spiritual war in which every human being must either fight or fall, and above all, because Christ himself has commanded us to do this work. Little by little, we learn a little. There is far more that we do not understand, and there are as many disappointments as consolations. Nevertheless, We are not doing it because of any calculable preponderance of successes over failures. We do it because he has told us to do it. Therefore, we trust that it will, in the very long run, bear fruit that will abide.